Welcome to Kingdom Life Church, Stellenbosch. May this life-giving word activate your faith today. Well, it's so good to be with you this morning. And um, I'm excited because this morning we're starting with something new. And uh, you might have seen our Facebook page. And, and if you wondered where you are, you are here. <laughs> have you ever been in a mall where you got lost? One of the biggest malls or, or a theme park. If you've been, I've been to Disney World twice and I was really blessed in, in Europe and in America. And, and there you get lost very quickly. And there you need, I was looking for the board. Well, where am I? <laughs> and then you just, there's a lot of those boards. You know, remember that boards? Thank goodness for those boards. Now you have info. And you go to the, the lady sitting at the info desk and say, please help me. But, um, and I actually saw in a mall, I said, was it Mall of Africa? They've got digital boards. And you can click on the board and it will show you and it will direct you. It's actually quite nice. And so we're starting a series this morning called You Are Here. Where are you in life? But the question is, where do you want to go in life? See, that's a good question. But the better question than that is, where do God wants you to go in life? See, that's the question that we all need to ask. Lord, where do you want us to go in life? Where do I need to grow as a Christian? Now, I have been lost before. I, I lived in London for about six months, just over six months. And uh, the first week in London was quite horrendous on the tube, tube stations. So I was trying to navigate my way through all the tube, all the crossings and all the stuff. And the trains rushing by and missing this train, getting off at the wrong, wrong stations. Um, and, and at least London is better than Paris. If you went to the Paris underground, oh my goodness, you need to pray in tongues all the time. Because that thing is horrendous. And when you want to speak to someone, they don't even speak to you. They just turn their backs because you're speaking English. Then I spoke some, started speaking Afrikaans and then suddenly, oh, you're Dutch. Okay, I'll help you. It's, it's just amazing. But when I was living in London, um, I don't know if you're, how many of you have been in London and, and used the tubes and the trains. It's, it's amazing. Probably one of the most, um, one of the cities in the world that you can... Um, I have no idea what it means in Afrikaans, but ach, in English. But it's this by toegankelijk. You can go from one place to another place without having a car in the city central. And you can... Accessible. Thank you. Thank you for my translators up here. But, but this, is, this is a station um, next to Trafalgar Square in London called Charing Cross. And Charing Cross is old cross-like um, building with a statue of King, um, uh, King Charles I. And they always said that was the center point of London, the central point of London. And there's an awesome well-known story um, in London about this boy who got lost. Now, I'm just going to read it to you. It's quite a nice story. Um, At the heart of the city of London is Charing Cross. All distances across the city are measured from this central point. Locals refer to it as simply as the cross. One day a child became lost in this busy metropolis, um, and a city police officer, or in English, they call him a Bobby, um, came to the child, child's aid and tried to help him return him to his family. Um, the Bobby asked the child a, various, um, a variety of questions and in an attempt to discover where the boy lived, to no avail. Finally, with tears streaming down the boy's face, he said, if you can take me to the cross, I think I can find my way home. Isn't that a beautiful story? It's such a great story and this great description of, of, of the Christian life. You see, the cross is both the starting point of a new life in Christ, but it's also the place that we need to return to a lot 
that need to say, listen, I just need to keep my focus in life. So I need to return to the cross and say, this is my starting point and my finishing point. This is the center of everything in our lives. Now there's a passage of Scripture in Mark where Jesus shows us where we are and where we need to go or where we want to go, if you ever thought about it. And it's, a, it's, it's quite an interesting portion of Scripture, and we're going we're gonna to look at this portion of Scripture for four weeks. And, um, and so don't worry, we're going to touch on other Scriptures as well, but this is going to be our central theme of our series this week. Now, before I go there, I want to tell you a story of, not just a story, but um, a couple of years ago, there was a survey done with, I think, hundreds and hundreds of churches in the U.S., where they took a survey, and, and through that survey, they realized that every church in the, in, in, in the world can be divided into four different groups of people. Not, not the church, in every church. So we see four different groups of people, um, but the study was done for this, with this purpose, to show how well churches today are helping people to be equipped and to be discipled. Otherwise, we're just having fun every Sunday morning and drinking coffee and, and nobody's growing and nobody's doing nothing. And that's not the kind of church we want to be or want to become or want to come to. We want to come to a place to grow. You don't go to the gym just to sit on the bike and watch super sport. <laughs> well, maybe some of them, yeah. <laughs> we want to go to the gym to get fit, to get strong, to, to grow in that essence. To, to, that's why you go to the gym. Or go and play some sports or do sport to, be, to become better. Now, the study showed that every person that attends church in the 21st century can be classified into one of four groups. One of four groups. And I want to quickly show you that four groups. And it was quite interesting. Group number one is people that is currently exploring God. So these people, as people attending church, but they're still thinking about salvation. They still think, should I have a relationship with God? Or is this church and God thing for me? They're exploring this possibility of... And, and, and usually, we love that people. We love those people because there is a hunger for something spiritually deeper. And that's leading them into an encounter with God. So they are not there yet, but man, they're hungry. Then we get group number two. And it's people that is beginning in God. That is a group of people who ex accepted God as their Savior, and they stepped into this journey. They stepped into this journey with God that says, Father, man, I, I've got a relationship with you. Now I need to grow in you. That is the second group. Then we get group number three. And that is people who are close to God. And this group of people are growing in a relationship with the Father and they are hungry for more as they grow every day. Lord, I need more. I need more. Lord, I want to read new books. I want to go to conferences. I want to listen to the sermon. I, I'm, I'm growing in more of God. Group four. Uh, group three. Then group four is people who is God-centered. They are the ones who is reaching out, igniting fires wherever they go. I mean, there is a deepness in their relationship with God as they've been stepping through and, and journeying with God for a while. And as all of us are reaching for that moment and that point. Now, never mind what the survey said. 
As a church, it is always important for us to know how people make or made the step to the next stage. Because you're going to grow. My kids don't stay this, this size, they grow up. And if you have toddlers like this size, you would say, Amen. <laughs> they need to grow up. But it's important for us as a church that we need to, we need to know that people grow from one stage to the next stage. And we don't classify people in stages. Ooh, you in stage one, so that side, stage two, this side. No, no. There isn't any comparison in love of God. He loves us all, every, every one of us. But with growth, you have stages. Now, as a church, it's always important for us to, to know how people make that step to the next stage. But, but as well, how they grow in their relationship with God is very important to us. And with this series, I will introduce to you as a church our new growth path. And, and, and this is, will be something that maybe it's a word that you know. And we haven't had a growth path till now, but we know that God is, is growing us as well as a church. And a growth path is, is a way to, from that you get to know God, till your journey with God, from every level, every stage, how do you grow? And what do we as a church put in place to help you grow? Because that's the role of a church. You see, we need to look at how do we grow in KLC Stellenbosch. How do we mature as believers together? And how do we step through these stages of growth? But very, very important, how do we celebrate each other as we grow through stages? It's important to celebrate. It's important to, to celebrate when you can suddenly bench press 10 kilograms more in gym than you have. I mean, you need friends to celebrate with you, otherwise it's boring. It's like, oh no, I did my PB and nobody is here to celebrate with me. But that's also the great part of church. We celebrate with each other as we grow, as you get baptized, as you get filled with the Holy Spirit, as you grow into um, a connect group, and as you start leading some stuff in church, as you go on missions. It's all part of growth. You see, each week I will look at one of these stages of growth. One of these stages for us to see how a growth path works, but also to unveil our growth path at the end of the series. And I'm very excited about that because it's going to be awesome. Now today, we will look at group one, and, and the great thing about group one is it is a stage where you step into fellowship. You step into fellowship. It's a friendship that becomes fellowship. I'm, I'm meeting new friends, and then you realize in stage one, I don't know God yet, but I realize I need fellowship. See, it's a big difference between friendship and fellowship. Friendship is, how's the weather? Good to see you, great. Fellowship is, I'm opening my life a bit more, yeah. I'm becoming more vulnerable so that people can speak into my life. That's stage one, and we're going to look at that today. Then group two is you stepping into a relationship with God. I'm stepping now into that place of salvation. Now I've got a relationship with the Father. Lord, now I want to grow in that relationship. When you meet your husband and wife the first time, remember, and you start growing in that relationship with, with him or her, I mean, you get to know each other. You go into a courtship, and a courtship grows into much more until it comes to marriage. See, the, the, the relationship go, grows. And then stage three, or group three, you're stepping into a place of discipleship. Now you need to become closer to God. You need to be discipled. You need to be, be taught how to read your Bible, how to pray, how to teach others to do the same. And then in group four, you need to step into a place of lordship. 
into your life. And we're going to look at each and every one of those during the next couple of weeks. Now let's look at how Jesus explained and summarized this growth process. And it's, I mean, we always wanted to go back and see what, what, did, what did Jesus do? No, it's not just a nice bangle that we wear. We need to know what did Jesus do and how did he do it and how did he speak about it. Now Jesus actually spoke about these four groups of people. It came out in a survey, it's quite interesting, and you go back to the wood and say, but wait, Jesus already spoke about this. And if you go to Mark 4, verse 1 to 10, we're going to read it together. It says, once again, Jesus began preaching by the lake shore. A very large crowd soon gathered around him, so he got into a boat. Then he sat in a boat while all the people remained on the shore. Isn't that amazing? Do you know that when you sit on water and you speak, that it is like an amplifier. It's incredible how intentional Jesus was. Let's go and sit on the boat so that the water can amplify my voice. It's incredible, isn't it? Then he taught them by telling many stories in a form of parables, such as this one. Listen, a farmer went out to plant some seeds. As he scattered it across the field, some of the seeds fell on a footpath, and the birds came and ate it. Other seeds fell on shallow soil with underlying rock. The seeds sprouted quickly because the soil was, soil was, um, sorry, was shallow. <coughs> but the plant soon withered or wilted un under the hot sun. And since it didn't um, have deep roots, it died. Other seeds fell among thorns that grew up and choked out the tender plants so that it produced no grain. Different translation says there was no fruit. Still other seeds fell on fertile soil and they sprouted, grew and produced a crop that was 30, 60 and even a hundred times as much as has been planted. Then he said, and I love this, he said, anyone with ears to hear should listen and understand. Now if you have been to church and if you've been reading your Bible and you've been in, in group 2, 3 and 4 um, in, in, that, in that growth areas, if you hear something about, if you have ears, you need to hear. You would understand immediately. That's, I understand it. It's quite a biblical phrase. But if you are unsaved and you group one, and I would listen to a guy standing and preaching and saying, if you have ears, it's time for you to listen. It would actually, maybe you would, you would think, it's strange, maybe there's people without ears here in this crowd. Am I right? Why would Jesus say that if you have ears? Yes, all of us are born with ears, thank you. Now, we know that Jesus wasn't really speaking about physical ears. He was speaking about our spiritual ears. He was saying you need to listen with your spiritual ears because this is a spiritual thing. Now, we need to remember that the Bible is a spiritual book. It was written by a spiritual being to spiritual beings if I can say it like that. It was written by God with spirit for us and for our spirit. Remember what Paul said to the Corinthians. Look at this, 1 Corinthians 2 verse 14. But people who aren't spiritual can't receive these truths from God's spirit. It all sounds foolish to them and they can't understand it for only those who are spiritual can understand what the spirit means. See, sometimes we need to... <laughs> Our, our natural mind cannot understand the truth of the Bible. We need our spirit. We need the Holy Spirit to come and unfold the truth of the Word of God to us. That's why Jesus said, if you have ears, 
Now switch on your spiritual ears. Switch on. So after Jesus told this parable, listen to what the disciples did. I mean, they were bugged. It's like, what did that story mean? I mean, and they came to Jesus in verse 10, and they said the following. He said, later, when Jesus was alone with the 12 disciples and with the others who were gathered around, they asked him what the parable meant. Isn't that amazing? Jesus, tell me, what did you mean there? Listen to his reply in verse 13. He says, then Jesus said to them, if you can't understand the meaning of this parable, how will you understand all the other parables? All the other parables. Now, this is a very important scripture. You see, Jesus said that if you don't understand this one, I mean, you won't understand any of the other ones. That's why you need to switch on your spiritual ears. That's why we, that's why we will look at this portion of scripture for four weeks. Because we need to make sure that if we get this thing down, we're going to we're going to see so much more through the parables of Jesus. We need to get this parable down to know that, Lord, if this is the basis and the foundation of understanding, then I need to get this, this under my belt. We need to unpack this to prepare ourselves to go to the next level. I don't know about you, but I want to go to the next level. I want to go to the next level of my Christian walk into my understanding of God, experiencing, encountering, seeing more of Him in my life. So let's look at verse 14 and to 20 after this. Verse 14, now Jesus continues, he says, and he tells them the story. He says, the farmer plants seeds by taking God's word to others. The seed that falls on the footpath represents those who hear the message, only to have Satan come at once to take away. So we know that the birds of the air is Satan. And the farmer is God and the word, or the seed is the word. Then he said, the seed on the rocky soil represented those who hear the message and immediately receive it with joy. But since they don't have deep roots, they don't last long. They fall away as soon as they have problems or are persecuted for believing God's word. The seeds that fell among the thorns represent um, others who hear God's word, but too quickly the message is crowded out by worries of life the lure of wealth, and the desire of other things. So no fruit is produced. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? All of us step through that. And the seed that fell on good soil represents those who hear and accept God's word and produce a harvest of 60, 30, 60, and even 100 times as much as been planted. So what, the, so, so what Jesus did was he told the people the story so that they can understand the truth. That's what, we, that's what parables is all about. He told stories, so that I need to tell you a story so you can understand the truth even better. You see, so many, today, when there so many people today, when they hear a story, they think that Jesus spoke about four different people here. I thought about that. Four bad guys and one good guy. Come on, three, three bad guys who didn't receive the word and one good guy who received the word. But if we listen carefully, Jesus isn't talking about four different people. He's talking about a bad enemy. And how we can overcome the enemy at each stage of growth in our lives. Because he's going to be there. And he's going to try to derail you as you grow in God. Because he doesn't want you to grow in God. 
Now, if you look at these four groups that I began with today and, and, and that the survey revealed um, with all the churches, we need to remember one very important thing. That all of these groups is growing. There is growth. From group one to group four, there is constant growth. You're not worse off in group one than in group four. And all of us are growing. And remember that God loves us all equally. No matter if you are unsaved, Satanist, or leading thousands of churches, God loves you equally. Because He poured His love out on a cross for every person on this earth. Now even the first group who was not saved, they are seeking and this growing towards salvation. There is growth. Let me ask you this question. Um, if a baby is in the womb, before, before the baby is born, is the baby growing? Yes. So when a seed is sown in people's lives before salvation, is there growth? <laughs> they grow towards God. There is a growth towards God. And sometimes we look at, oh, he doesn't know, Lord. Oh, we need to pray more, more, more. But maybe the seed that you sow in his life pulls him closer to salvation. You see, the seed is sown and then we grow towards salvation and people grow in their understanding of God before salvation. I sat in church for weeks and months before I really came to a point saying, oh, man, I, I actually need to be saved. <laughs> I need to come before the Lord and place my heart and my soul and everything before his cross and said, Lord, now everything is yours. And there was a moment of salvation. You see, even the people in group four still grows in their understanding of God, and they will always will. And when we stop growing in any one of these stages, we become stagnant. Some people say you backslide. I don't believe in backsliding. You can't go back from what God has already done in your life, but you become stagnant. You become passive. And because the kingdom is advancing, it feels that you're backsliding, but you're just standing still. That's why we need to advance and grow in our relationship with God. So how do we move from one stage to the next stage? Or maybe I should ask, how do I grow in my relationship with God? How do I grow every day? Now firstly, you move from group one to group two with the understanding of one very important principle. And that is grace. If you don't get grace, you will never move to a place of salvation. You will never. See, people in group one before salvation will always try to earn salvation. They always try to do things to get closer to God. And that's not what God did. He came to destroy the works, and He did the works so that we can earn through grace salvation. You see, the people in group two three and four, will strongly agree that nothing they have done or will ever do could have earned them salvation. When you step into salvation and you really know God, you will, you will, you will agree that, man, there's nothing I did. I didn't come and, and, and wash the church windows and broom and, and wash the pastor's car every Sunday. You know, I didn't do all those things just to get to a place, okay, now you're worthy of salvation. No. You stepped into that place of grace and said, Father, you have done it all, and therefore I can have it all. I just need to give my heart to you. 
He earned the right for us all. He earned it. He paid it all. Now, people that move from group two to group three is people that begin to understand that God's word is the final authority. He's the final authority. His word is the final authority. See, when we move from the understanding that the Bible is not just a history book, not just a book that contains stories of our God, no, no, it's a book that gives truth in how to live life. It is a book that, that helps you to be a better husband, to be a better wife, to be a great parent. It helps you to be a great friend, to fight every battle. It helps you to conquer the enemy. And when that word becomes alive in your heart, man, it becomes powerful. And if you don't see it like that as the final authority, it would just be a book. But when I move from that, that, I mean, now I'm starting with my relationship with God, now I move to a place that I need to be close to God, you realize that I need the word of God in my life to empower me. And it is the final authority in my life of what I believe. This is how a husband should treat his wife. It's in the Bible. This is how I should have integrity in life. It's in the Bible. You see, the Bible becomes a final authority in my life, and that's what's giving me the direction. See, once people recognize the Bible as a final authority and not just a book, there is a shift in relationship. There's a shift in truth in my life. Then for people to move from group three to group four, it comes down to giving. Now, maybe you should say, like, okay, any now, how, how did you get from there to money now, man? Now, I'm not talking about money. But maybe giving money is a very small part of this. I'm talking about giving your life for the kingdom of God in everything you do, no matter what your profession in life is. It is giving myself to God. Is giving everything that I have. Lord, I'm giving my time this morning to come and sit in church and fellowship with others and be nourished by the Word of God. Build relationships. It is a giving moment. Once you get the truth that, they, that we are not on this earth for me, but for God, then we move to that next level. We move to that level four where we said, Lord, man, Lord, I'm God-centered. Everything centers around you, Father. You are the center of my life. I don't put you in the center every morning. Or even now, oh, Lord, I decide, okay, today you are. No, no, he is the center of my life every day. And out of the God inside of me, I'm successful in everything I do. I hope it makes sense to you. You see, in the book of Acts, when the people got full of the Spirit, they did what? They gave. And what did they give? They gave their time, they gave their talents, and they gave their treasures. Three very important things. They gave all their time. I know it's a different culture, different time. They gave their time, they gave everything, they gave their talents. This is what I can do, this is what I can bring. But they also gave their treasures to each other. They made sure that everyone was fine. That's why it's important to know the four stages of growth. And, and as I now laid the foundation for us, and I know I took some time to lay this foundation for us to understand how we grow as Christians in a church context. We don't want to be religious. We want to be a, a church that, 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 that catapults people in grace. But we need to understand that we need to grow. We need to grow in a certain aspect. And how can we as a church help us? And how can a community of believers help each other to grow to a next level? 
So now that we built the foundation, I want to look at group one this morning. And group one is, is a very important group, and you might be part of that group. Or maybe you know people that's part of that group. And I think more of us in our church this morning knows people in that group that, that are part of that group. But let's look quickly again to verse 14. Verse 14, it says, The farmer plants a seed by, by taking God's word to others. The seed that fell on a footpath represents those who hear the message only to have Satan come at once and take it away. Now this is Jesus um, talking, right? If you go to your Bible, you go to Mark 4, and you go to verse 14, you will see that Jesus said that it is written in red, that scripture. And wherever it is written in red, it means that Jesus said it. <laughs> now this might shock you, but Jesus said that Satan can come and steal the word of, out of your heart. He said it. That means that the word that you receive, that means that Satan can come and steal the word out of your heart. Now that's why it's so important for us to protect our hearts every day of your life. To protect what, what you are entering and how you do your devotions, how you read that Bible and how you protect that word in your life. When people come and give you a prophetic word or speak word of your life or give you a, a encouragement through the word, protect your heart. Because our hearts is the ground that can produce the fruit. 30, 60, and 100 fold. Because the seed is sowed into our hearts. And I'm going to speak to that uh, uh, the, the next couple of weeks. You see, week one is a hollow heart. Uh, sorry, it's a hard heart. Week two is a hollow heart. It still needs to be filled, but it's connected to God. And I'm going to go on like that, but I'm going to speak about that next week. See, when we don't guard our hearts, it gives the enemy way a way to take the word from our hearts. I need to guard my heart every day. See, you might be um, in, in group one, or maybe you know friends who are in group one. But, but if you have friends in group one, we need to understand how group ones function. People who don't know God yet. Because you need to be a, a catalyst in their lives. Sometimes you are the seed in their lives. Now, this might be amazing to you, but how many of you have had this um, experience yet before that you know friends who doesn't know God and they go through defining moments a traumatic experience maybe in that trauma and in that situation in their lives and the, the weeks um, past that suddenly they open to God and they start speaking about God they're speaking about everlasting life or they and suddenly it's like whoa where did you come from have you had that experience before People who never spoke about God, suddenly they open and they speak about God through a traumatic experience or a divine moment. And, and then you see them and you're like amazed. And then a week or two after that, you see them again and suddenly their hearts are closed. Boom. If when you bring up God, they, they shift the subject. Why? Because the enemy followed up on them immediately. Immediately, at once, like the word says, at once the birds came and ate the seed. So the enemy is not sleeping. Eh? The enemy will come immediately when there's a moment of salvation or a moment or a seed that's been sown in the heart of a, of a person to come and take that seed away. So I don't want you in salvation. Now let me explain this further. And I'm giving you more context of the scripture. Now this same parable is in Matthew 13 and in Luke 8. 
And let's look at it quickly, not just at two scriptures to give us more context. In Matthew 13 verse 19, it says the following, The seeds that fell on a footpath represents those who hear the message about the kingdom and don't understand it. Then the evil one comes and snatches away the seed that was planted in their, life, in their hearts. Snatches away the seeds as quick as possible. But, but now listen to Luke and it will give you, I mean, th th this will clench it. Luke 8 verse 12, it says, The seeds that fell on a footpath represents those who hear the message. Only to have the devil come and take it away from their hearts and prevent them from believing and being saved. Remember, I mean, I'm talking about group one. This is the people who's not saved yet. But it reiterates that God sows seed in our hearts. And that seed is growing to a point of salvation. And whenever I see, I mean, if the devil follows us up on people immediately, why don't we as Christians? I mean, it's, it's quite convicting to me, I must say. When I speak to someone, and I, I cycle with a lot of guys, and, and a lot of them don't serve God, and, or maybe they know about God, but they don't have a relationship with God. And the, the conversations comes up every now and then about church, about God, about, about life. And most of them, some of them I miss. And I should have just like, listen, let's just have a coffee and speak about that quickly. Because that's a moment where God is nourishing that seed. So if you're in group one or not, to make sure we and uh, people around us believe and are saved, I want to quickly finish today just by looking at three things. So if you have friends that is in group one, how should you go about and what is the truth that you should believe to help them to get to a place of being saved, stepping into that relationship with God? Number one, Salvation is not based on works. We know that. It's nothing you can do that can get you saved. Look at Ephesians 2 verse 8. It says, God saved you by His grace when you believed. And when you can't take credit for this, uh, sorry, and you can't take credit for this, it is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done, so none of us can boast about it. Isn't that amazing? I can't boast about it because I've done nothing to deserve this. <laughs> the only thing we deserve if we're not saved is hell and death. See, if you, don't, if, if you want to go to heaven, it is not based on works. It's not based on what I do. It is based on His works, on what God has done for us. And I, I'm, I need to be honest. I need to remind myself daily on that. He has nothing you can do. Because God has done it. Jesus has done it. I can just say thank you, Jesus, for what you've done. And step into that. Do you know that, that one of the greatest battles there is for people who is in group two, three, and four? It is to not get back into works. That's one of the greatest battles. Because it's so easy when you're in group two, three, four, and you, you have a, a God-centered relationship with God. And now suddenly I want to start doing something. Lord, I'll help you. You're a bit slow. I've been praying about this thing for six months, so let me just help you a bit here. <laughs> See, it's one of the greatest battles for us as Christians to not go back into works. Because everyone who got saved knew that there was nothing they did to receive this gift. Nothing. It was all Jesus. All Jesus. Number two, salvation is a free gift. 
It's a free gift. Look at Romans 6.23. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus, through Christ Jesus our, our, our Lord. You see, the Scripture says you can get stuck at working for it. You can get stuck at working for it. You know what the wages is for that work? A spiritual death. <laughs> That's why it says the wages of sin. That means that if I work to get close to God, you're going to get waged. This is your payment. And the payment is going to be this spiritual death. There's no life. But if you need life in God, you don't have to work for it. It's already done. The dinner has been paid for. Just come and sit, man, and eat and enjoy the fellowship on the table. Now, if we look at, at this portion of Scripture, sorry, no, I'm, I'm running myself ahead. The great thing about this is it's a gift. But the greater thing about it, it is a free gift. How many of you love free gifts? <laughs> come on. I've never met a South African who doesn't like a free gift. <laughs> I had an American friend once in, South, in America and they, when I was still running and I was with Nike and, and, and we were at the warehouses and I was like, Woo, we are going to the warehouse, where's my checkers? Because you have a checkers like a trolley that you go into the store and you just do your shopping there. And, and everything is free and it's so nice. And then an American friend of me looked at me and he laughed. He's like, man, you South Africans. You like free stuff. It's like, yes. I've never met someone who doesn't like free stuff. But, but this is incredible. It is not just a gift. It is a free gift. Free gift means you don't have to do anything to receive it. You just need to step into that place and say, Father, I receive. I receive it. There's something that happens. This seed in my heart has been cultivating. This has been growing like a baby in a womb. has been growing inside. And suddenly, you, I mean, there's just a moment of said. I'm ready. How many of you have gone to people like, I have friends who got saved before, and, I was, and then just one day they come to me and say, Henny, you need to pray for me. It's like, what? I need to get saved. I was like, what did I miss? How, how did you get to? But see, the seed was cultivating. The seed was growing. And when we look at people in group one, they're sitting in church because they're hungry for God, and they're ready to step over to that place of saying, Lord, I need to meet you. I need more of you. I need to be baptized. I need to be filled with the Spirit. I need to step into this relationship with God. And then number three, and it's very important, salvation is easy to receive. <laughs> it's not tough. Eh? It's amazing how, a power, how the most powerful being in the universe, the most amazing, amazing complex being that has ever existed, God, can make it so easy for us to have a relationship with Him. Isn't that amazing? The God of the universe. Now, if we look at this portion of Scripture, we see that Jesus used seed as an example. Now, why? I always thought about that, and I want to end with this. Why do you think Jesus used seed as an example? And it came to me, and I realized that, do you know that because people can't cheat sowing and reaping? <laughs> you can't cheat it. You just can't cheat it. And, and, and to step up that ladder in growth, man, we want the quickest way up. I don't know about you. When I got saved, I asked my, my cell group leader, I was like, listen, okay, how do I grow and be good at this? <laughs> he said, well, you do it every day. I said, but is there a quicker way? 
Is there something, is there a course I can do? Is there, come on, I'm just honest with you. That, that's just our DNA. We want, it, we want things quick, and we want to be the best at it as quick as possible. And that's why Jesus, you see it, I believe. So just imagine Jesus used school to go to school instead of seed. Because the school system, you can cheat. Because I, can, I don't have to go to class, and I don't have to do this, but then I can take some of the basics, and I can still make that exam without internalizing anything. But see, seed time and harvest time, you can't cheat. You can't cheat on a harvest. You can't wait, you can't wait till the night before the harvest, and then it's like, oh, where's my seed? Let's just sow this thing. Tomorrow the harvest is here. No, my friend. There's something in between. There's something in between. So you can't wait for the night before, and that doesn't work. See, the Scripture says, um, let me just go back. I, I've, I've missed something here. Oh, here we go. See, the, when you look at seed, seed, there's a natural, natural system governed by an unchangeable law. And that's why Jesus used seed. Why? Because it is seed, then time, and then harvest. But if you want seed and just the harvest, you miss the time. And God says, I need time with you to grow. I need time with you from the seed to the harvest so that you can mature in your relationship with me. So that you can mature in who you are. You can't just step from one side to the other side. Yay, I've made it. Quick. I mean, it's, like, it's not a video game that there's a cheat code. And I, if I had the cheat code, I can finish this thing early. No, no, it's not. It is a process of time. And when we step through this growth path and whatever season of group you are in, that's fine. You are not better when you're in group four than better than group one. The love of God is the same. But we want to grow closer to God. When, I'm, when I got married to my wife, I wanted to grow closer to her even the day we got married. And after 15 years, we are even more closer to each other and understand even more about us. And the next 15, 20, 30, 50 years, we'll grow closer to each other, but it takes time. It takes time. And that's why I think Jesus used seed Seed that, that has got such much, so much value for us. So we can't jump from seed to harvest. God uses this time to take us to the next level. Are you ready to go to the next level in your relationship with God? I know this was a foundational message, but in the next two, three weeks, we want to dive into this place of, now you met God, how do I step into a deeper relationship with Him? How do I sort my heart out? How do I not let the weeds and the thorns of life presses around me so that I miss the fruit in my life. Amen. Can we stand together and I'm going to pray for us. Well, thank you, Lord, that this morning we can, we can pray again and just thank you, Father, for the price that you've paid, for everything that you've done for us, Father, that you've done for us so that we don't have to do, that we don't have to earn, we don't have to perform for you, Father, but we know that, that you have placed a seed in our hearts through so many friends and so many situations and so many things that we can be lured closer to an encounter and a salvation moment with you. Lord, we pray this morning, not just for our lives, but the friends and the people around us that, that are still in a place where they're seeking and exploring about you, Lord, but they, need, they know they need you. And Lord, we, 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 we pray that you will bring us into relationship where people are seeking Bring us into a relationship where people are still exploring so that we can be the life and the light 
and the seed in their lives. Lord, I pray that, that there will always be a love for people like that. For people who's not there yet, but they're so hungry. They're ready for you, Father. Thank you for listening to our weekly sermon. For more detail, visit www.klcstellenbosch.co.za.